0: Hello, and welcome to The Spectator's Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency in 2017. I'm Freddie Gray, and I'm deputy editor of The Spectator. Today, I'm joined by Daniel McAdams, who is executive director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, and we're going to be talking about Trump the interventionist. Daniel, I think it's fair to say that on the non-interventionist right, or the non-interventionist left as well, there was some hope that one of the upsides of a Trump presidency would be that America would be less interventionist in foreign affairs. I think it's fair to say that doesn't seem to be the case. Would you agree?
1: I think the early indications are not very good. And, and you're absolutely right. Not only the non-interventionist right and left, but I would say a great degree of libertarians in general you know, are, are beyond left and right, held their noses and voted for Trump particularly because of what he said about Russia. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the idea of getting along with Russia, many believe it is so important that they would accept some of his other faults. Unfortunately, with his early picks to fill up his cabinet and other key posts and his early policy positions, it doesn't look like that will be fulfilled.
0: Yes. And also, there seems to be a certain amount of cooperation with Saudi Arabia that we didn't expect. Isn't that right?
1: Well, it is interesting. You know, the, the Saudis were... Uh, key financiers of the Hillary Clinton campaign, mm. I think they gave $25 million to the to the Clinton Foundation. And uh, we're, we're, we're seen as openly supporting Hillary Clinton because particularly precisely because she had a very hawkish view of what U.S. policy should be in Syria and and toward uh, Russia by, <clears throat> by indirection. So that's why the, the visit between President Trump and the crown prince uh, this past week was quite surprising because they seemed to agree on almost every issue from Yemen to Syria to Iran to even weapons sales. There didn't seem to be very much daylight between them.
0: Do you think it's a case that it doesn't matter how well-intentioned, I don't know if we can say that Trump's ever been well-intentioned, but how much a president intends to not get entangled in foreign affairs? Do you think it's just depressingly inevitable that presidents cannot resist the urge to exert American military might abroad?
1: Well, I think that's important. I think that's one half of it. And it is one area where the president does have broad authority. Uh, There's a broad interventionist streak among the elites of both parties. So he doesn't, this is one area where he doesn't get a lot of pushback from Congress. Mm. Uh, But the other side of that coin, I would argue, is this is sort of a fundamental problem in U.S. foreign policy, which is that the people who are considered experts are those very same people whose advice is cutting us into the mess we, we've been in for so long? And I'm referring to the neoconservatives, who are not conservatives whatsoever. They're the opposite of conservatives. But they, when, when you look for experts in Washington, you have the neoconservatives. And it's a very sort of fundamental institutional problem. They, they populate the think tanks. The think tanks are funded by the military industrial complex and therefore they advise more war. And that's uh,
0: it's a very, very
1: difficult problem.
0: Uh, Trump seems to identify a little bit. He he tweeted about him two days ago, I think, uh, with Andrew Jackson. Uh, Is it fair to say that Jacksonian foreign policy is coming to the fore under his administration?
1: I I think it's fair to say that. And I think he has uh, sort of a romantic view of of Jackson's uh, populism, well-known populism. And, you know, I think that's an attraction to him. But to be quite honest, I don't think he thinks very much about foreign policy. The other problem, I mean, the real problem with Trump is he doesn't have an ideology when it comes to America's place in the world. And therefore, unfortunately, like George W. Bush before him as a Republican, that opens his ears to those who argue, for example, the false idea that if the American government, if the American military were to pull back. From its forward deployment in literally every country in the world, that somehow that void would be filled with bad actors. Mm. And non interventionists believe that it would be filled with people like business people and people that are traveling, and people that are actually doing something productive in the rest of the world.
0: I suppose th- there is still some optimism. Uh, Justin Raimondo, who you have corresponded with in a bit, feels that America first, just by dint of being what Donald Trump's been elected to be means that America will always look after its own interests and, and it won't have this internationalism, which has actually been more dangerous in the Middle East than a policy where America just pursues its own interests.
1: Well, I, you know, I respect uh, Justin quite a bit, but I, I don't necessarily agree with that. What it looks like is emerging among, in the Trump foreign policy is the idea that U.S. troops must take over where the Obama administration was pre- preferred to use CIA forces, he preferred to use drones, We already have 1,000 U.S. troops now in Syria. Of course, they're there illegally. The Washington Post reported recently that that the president plans to send another 1,000 troops into Syria with a 2,500 troop reserve in Kuwait. He's ramping up for a larger war. This kind of war is certainly not an America-first foreign policy, on the contrary.
0: Are you starting to long for the days of Obama and intervention light?
1: Well, you know, it happens every time just when you think the next president can't be worse. <laughs> yeah. It seems to get worse. And it's, uh, you know, this, this whole idea, this, the whole business with Syria is, is absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, the Syrian government with its Russian and Iranian allies are defeating ISIS. They're doing a very good job of it. If the U.S. would simply sit back, step back, let them finish the job. And this is what candidate Trump said. He said, what's so wrong What's so bad about the Russians killing ISIS? Sounds like a great thing to me. Well, that sounded like a great thing to a lot of voters as well. So why is he putting you know, thousands of American troops in Syria? And by the way, where is Congress? This is illegal.
0: Mm. Is it just that Trump actually is very easily impressed by generals? I mean, we've noticed this. He, he seems to come out of meetings with generals and change his mind about torture, change his mind about interventions. I think is he is he He's quite into sort of a macho view of the world. And, and if a strong man tells him it's time to go in, maybe he's so simple that he, he will he will follow their advice.
1: I think he probably fancies himself a bit of that. You know, he didn't serve in the military. and But the other thing, and there's a theory going around that maybe there's more truth to it than anything, it's that essentially Donald Trump takes the advice of the last person he spoke with. You know, some people have, have been joking he, he should speak to some libertarians because, yeah. you know, he, he may take that policy. But it does seem to be... The last person he speaks with is the person who defines his policy for that given period. And I think that it's quite a dangerous thing.
0: But he did consult with some, we could call them anti-war. Did he consult with Tulsi Gabbard? Is, is that her name, the, the Hawaiian yes. congresswoman? Uh, and people on your side of the, the fence thought that that was a good sign. But that seems to have disappeared of late.
1: That was a very, I think it was a very good sign. And there were, there were high hopes. That was very, very early. Uh, I don't even think he was sworn in, perhaps he was, I don't remember the exact date, but he spoke with Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard went to Syria, she put in time on the ground, she met with all sides of the the spectrum, and she came home and said there are no such thing as moderate rebels in Syria. They are all jihadists, they're all terrorists, Mm. and we shouldn't support them. And she put in a bill uh, in the House that uh, forbade the U.S. from from sending weapons that might end up in the hands of al-Qaeda and ISIS, just introduced in the Senate by Rand Paul. So yeah, there was a lot of hope with that early meeting. But unfortunately, when you start padding out the National Security Council staff, when you start padding out uh, the Pentagon, you start seeing people like, you know, Fiona Hill, who does his work at the NSC on Russia. She's an absolute russophobe. Mm. Uh, You know, she thinks that Russia hacked the elections, which ironically would mean that her boss is an illegitimate president. So it's a bit comical. (laughs) But it's... uh, it's, it's, very, it's very dangerous, uh, and I, I, don't, I don't know how much thought he's putting into these, to these appointments that he's making. Nikki Haley, she said yesterday, we should never trust Russia, which is just – it's asinine for a, for a diplomat to say something like this. This is not what diplomacy is about.
0: Daniel, um, we'll wrap it up there, but thanks very much. I hope you'll talk to us again. Thank you. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast anytime on iTunes, so please do –